Welcome to Murder by Nature, where we discuss true crime, mysterious disappearances, and unsolved cases. I'm Jasmine Hernandez, your host. So I want to thank you guys for coming back and continuously listening. Even with that hiatus that I took in November, I still have all of the people that have been listening from the beginning still listening, which is, you know, really comforting to feel that I've been doing this since May. Wow, I've been doing this since May. And people actually listen to these. They actually want to hear these stories. I mean, I do little bits on TikTok, but the people there are ruthless. And I feel like when I'm telling these stories that other people are actually listening, they're actually engaging, they're they're wanting to hear about what's happening with these people. And there's thousands of true crime podcasts, but you guys are listening to mine and that makes me feel really special. So... We do have an Instagram that I would advise that you guys go follow. Go talk to me over there. I I like to respond back to people. I talk to people messages. Utilize that platform and let's grow this community, this little tribe that we have here in this little island. So with today's episode, we're actually going to be covering two different cases. I researched quite a few of them because there's a lot of cases that I feel like just kind of gets swept under the rug and you don't ever know. Like, I never knew about any of these and I'm big into true crime. So we're going to dive into those two stories today. And as we do, they're going to be sad and I'm going to put a trigger warning on for the second one. That one really messed with me. But as always, our references for today are medium.com, vice.com, all things interesting, Crime Online, Wikipedia, Murderpedia, Daily Record, New York Times, and Reddit. And we're going to dive in. Today is Christmas Eve. It's filled with joy and excitement. Most are up cooking, baking for tonight, and they're going to be spending the evening with their family and friends before settling their children down into bed for Santa to come. I know I'll be in the kitchen later making my famous pumpkin rolls for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, but as we know, This podcast is filled with the dark side, and this is going to be the dark side of Christmas. I was going to focus on one story today, but I decided to do two short stories of murders that have taken place on Christmas Eve that are not well known to the general public, but to shed some light on those cases. So we're going to dive into those stories today. By the time Christmas Eve of 2014 finally came around, Samina couldn't help but feel a little excited. Since her relationship with Roger Cooper started, he had been leading a double life with a long-term partner at home. Samina was stuck playing the second fiddle, but this Christmas, everything was set to change. The pair would spend Christmas Day at Bringingham Hotel, and by the start of 2015, they would officially be together. However, while Samina was getting ready to start this new life, Roger and his brother David had been preparing to take hers, and by 6.30 p.m. on Christmas Eve, Samina would be dead. The hotel room she booked would be sitting empty as the Cooper brothers set up to cover up her callous murder. The tragic story begins at a Costco store on the outskirts of town. The two spent two years entangled in a workplace love affair, but by the time that Christmas was coming in 2014, Samina was getting restless. She gave Roger an ultimatum, don't know what that word word I was saying there, and the run-up to the holiday season. Leave your long-term girlfriend or it's over. And Roger agreed. They attempted, the first attempt on her life was planned in the early hours of December 12th, 2014, following a Christmas party. Roger was planning for 
that time, like, so basically for when I got from this research is Roger and her would sneak away when they would do work things and hang out. And Roger told Samina to meet him at a hotel that they frequently went to. He claimed that he booked the room and he had a surprise for her. The surprise was that no room was even booked and Roger wasn't going to be there. Meanwhile, brother David sat in a hired car in a car park, ready and waiting to abduct her. The brothers communicated using Star Wars code, Death Star complete, stay on target, stay on target, you are expecting Vader. The plan failed, though. Although what went wrong was still unclear to detectives, Samina would finally make her way safely to the hotel from her taxi, and David would send a text to his brother in broken French, which translated, no point, no score, the window of opportunity is closed. And just 12 short days later, the brothers would try again. This time at 4 p.m. on Christmas Eve. Now, Samina and Roger worked together. They were both managers at Costco. Even though that wasn't something that you were allowed to do, it's what they were doing. And Samina and Roger were both working that day. Now, Samina left work just shortly after Roger, each driving in their separate cars. But the couple would meet up again nearby, where she would unpack her luggage from her BMW and willingly jump into Roger's Audi leaving her car parked on a quiet side street. Roger and Samina drove off together for a quick pre-Christmas visit to David's, a little detour on their way to Birmingham. On the drive to David's, he was, and just I want to put it in context, David was like 30 minutes away from where they were in their town, so it was a little drive out of the way, and this made her a little irritated. But Samina spoke to her sister in what would be the last time. Samina told her sister of her plans with with her boyfriend and confirmed that she would be at her parents' home on Boxing Day, which is Christmas Day, for their family Christmas celebration. The couple arrived at David Cooper's house at 5 p.m. And it was in the early evening, but it was still dark outside. I don't know, like for me, I'm in Southern California. So by the time it hits October, it starts to get dark at like 4.30 and it's like pitch black by 5 which is what was happening here. It was already getting dark, so it was hard to see things happening. And it is believed that Samina was attacked by David almost immediately by entering his property. She was smothered with chloroform and a bizarre combination of metallic elements, which they have thought that has now been administrated to her in a liquid form. By 6.25 p.m., Roger already began his journey back to town, leaving David to dispose of Samina's body. And to create the impression that Samina was still alive, Roger sent a text to himself from her phone. It was a false alibi. I'm fuming. I'm going where I'm truly care for it, it read. And he did this all while making his way back to his family at home. Samina's family was starting to get worried, though. She didn't show up for Boxing Day and decided it was time to alert the police that their daughter was missing. Now, on the other side of town, though, on Boxing Day... David was driving from his home to town where he was going to pick up Samina's BMW from the roadside and drive it back to his address. The following day, this December 27th, 2014, he then drove the vehicle to another city where he abandoned it and made his return back home by train. And if it wasn't enough time to be spent in her car, a few days later, he would return again to then clean the inside and destroy any evidence that he may have left behind. Now, that that part I just understand. Like, you keep going back. But I think as we go into the story, you're going to get a sense and a picture of why he was doing what he was doing. 
On New Year's Eve 2015, Roger was questioned by police as a witness. The police knew of the relationship that he was having with Samina and found it odd that he wasn't asking questions or being concerned. Remember, she was talking to her sister. Her family knew about Roger. They knew that he, like, they knew everything. And she told her sister that she was with Roger. Now, on January 4th of 2015, Samina's car was located in a quiet residential street. There was no fingerprints on the car, though. This immediately made police suspicious, and the driver's seat was pushed so far back that they knew Samina couldn't be the one driving. Now, Samina was about as tall as I am. I'm 4 foot 11. She was 5'1". The brothers were well into 5'8", 6 foot. So they knew from the way that this car was segmented that there was no way that she was driving it. It had to be someone a lot taller. Now, this missing inquiry ended up becoming a no-body murder one. From then, it didn't take long for detectives to put the pieces of this murder together. Data from Samina's phone revealed to police that she traveled with Roger to David's. The bottle of wine that she purchased for Christmas was found in David's fridge. The snacks were in his cupboard. Now... If that's not evidence enough that she was in his home, one of his friends alerted police with a tip. They ended up being anonymous, but in other articles, it was one of his friends. And they had an an archaeologist then arrive to an allotted plot that David owned, and they began excavating. On the fourth day, investigators found the side of a sleeping bag. And when they opened the flap, they immediately knew that the body that was located inside was Samina's. Now, the brothers were arrested on suspicion of murder on January 7, 2015, and were charged two days later. Evidence of the earlier plots that they had to kill Samina were uncovered and presented during their trial. So at this time, they didn't know about the one right after Christmas, but they were able to get that from text messages of broken French in the Star Wars language that demonstrated that previous attempts had been attempted, but aborted. Like I said in that, in earlier, as David sent Roger a text saying, no point, we failed, the window isn't open. This interpretation meant that the opportunity to kill Samina didn't present itself on that occasion, and is believed that Roger's motive for wanting Samina dead was to conceal his affair, one of several, might I add, that he was having, from his long-term partner. David's motive, though, was far more disturbing, as it was him who was pushing for the murder. He played a much larger role in all of it than his brother who was having the affair. David barely knew Samina, which exhibited a disturbing joy to participate in the murder of a wonderful woman. A sign on his allotted plot read, I'm running out of places to hide bodies, which hinted to police that he had a far darker mind. On the 21st of October, 2015, Roger and David were both found guilty of murder. The jury, all of them, found them guilty. I just want to point that out. No one was wavering. It was guilty. By Christmas of 2015, they were both behind bars, each serving a 30-year sentence. Now, Samina's family was left devastated by her loss. Her father said that it's hard for us to even imagine an innocent, kind, beautiful girl that could be murdered, let alone this was their daughter. They were in shock and they are missing their daughter in so many different ways. But this has affected their family by the fact that now they can't go outside. They feel weird when people aren't responding back. They can't stop thinking at this point that no one is safe anymore. 
And that's the story of Samina. As confusing, as frustrating as that story made me and the emotion that it came out, this isn't the only story that's like this. Many twisted love affairs end in murder. A lot of the times people have this passion, but then one or the other want more. And sometimes with people like this, with the thought of losing what they have and losing the person that they're having this affair with, it makes them do some dark things. My heart breaks for Samina today and her family and everything else as we bring this to light on the day that she was murdered. When I researched this case, it was said that they were given 30-year sentences, but they were already served nine of those years, which makes me frustrated because I know within the next few years, they're going to end up being released from jail. Their trial was set, and now, I mean, that was so long ago now. We're almost at the 10-year mark, and I think with that, in another 20 years, they're able to just walk free while while she's no longer breathing, and that just makes me mad. That, That frustrates me to no end. On Christmas Eve 2011, her, a horrific scene was about to unfold for two young sisters. There was something seriously wrong with their mother. When the girls went out to the living room to open presents, they would find their mother and stepdad already there. Their mother, Zazel Preston, would be slumped on the couch. She had a pair of sunglasses on that was placed by William to shield her eyes, and she wasn't speaking or moving. The girl's young brother, who was still an infant, was blissfully unaware of his mother's troubling posture. William told the girls that their mother was drunk and had ruined Christmas, but in reality, she had been dead for several hours due to a vicious beating the night before. Zazel was a talented dancer who loved ballet and had dreams of taking this passion into a career. However, before being able to pursue that dream, she became pregnant in high school and gave birth to a beautiful baby girl. Five years later, she welcomed another beautiful daughter into her life. With her positive attitude and strong family support system, 26-year-old Zazel was going to have a wonderful life for herself and her children. But when she reached 26, she fell madly in love with William, even though her family begged her to stay away from him. The beating started early on in their relationship, and like most, they stayed together and they continued to happen. Eventually, she would end up getting a restraining order against William, but as always, William would find a way to charm his way back into her life. The only times the beating stopped were when William was in jail for violating the protective orders that were against him, and if things couldn't get even worse, Zazel would become pregnant with William's child and eagerly make plans to get married. William somehow convinced Zazel that he found God during his recent stunt in jail and vowed that he would be a man of faith that he would be different going forward. Unfortunately, his newfound faith was as short as his temper. It didn't take long for the beatings to continue. It didn't matter to William that his wife was carrying their unborn child. And on one occasion, he left a battered Zazelle lying in a fetal position in the street. He even attacked her on their wedding night, causing her to give birth prematurely to their son. In the fall of 2011, Zazelle decided that she was going to start taking classes at Cypress College to become a domestic violence counselor. She felt with her intensive firsthand experience with the vicious cycles of domestic violence that she would be a really good counselor for these women. 
Her goal was to show victims that there is light at the end of the tunnel. And even though that this is happening, you can get out. Now, in in my research between this point and Thanksgiving, Zazelle had a conversation with her grandma. She told her grandmother that she was going to either die and William would go to jail or she was going to get out. And I left that part out because it's from an article and I can't verify that. But I want to kind of, this is something that is being said that happened in between these two times. Shortly after Thanksgiving, Suzelle finally mustered up the courage to leave William for good. She told her mother and her grandmother that she was desperate to move to a safe house as soon as she finished her finals at the end of that quarter. She knew that the only way to get out of this relationship was to leave or to be killed. A close family friend ran an Eli house. It's for abused women and children in Anaheim, California, and they were welcoming her and the children as soon as she was ready. See, you can't force someone to get help, but they had a place for her and they were going to have that place for her. Unfortunately, by that Christmas, Zazelle would be dead. Now, I'm going to really say that there's a big trigger warning right here at this point. It's going to take me a second to get through the the actions that happened on Christmas Eve. But please, 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 this is a trigger warning for anyone that cannot get through these kind of parts. (laughs) On Christmas Eve, the couple attended a neighbor's party. Zazelle's daughter would testify that William and her mother were arguing when they returned home, and the fight quickly escalated. William threw Zazelle into a glassed coffee table and then asked Zazelle's daughter, who was eight years old, to help remove shards of glass from her mother's limped body. Instead of seeking medical attention for his bleeding wife, the daughter would describe William carrying her mother into the bathroom while attempting to clean her up. William would drop Zazelle, causing her head to hit the side of the toilet and then dragging the unconscious Zazelle into the bedroom and laying her down. Zazelle likely died sometime during the night. Zazelle's daughter went to the living room to open gifts the following morning, thinking they fight all the time. This is, this is something that happens. Now, at the same time, William was placing Zazelle's dead body next to them on the couch. Zazelle's daughter remembers trying to touch her mom, and she was rock hard, cold. She said, Mommy, and she didn't respond. Her daughter tells this in court documents. Now, their stepdad told the girls, Mommy ruined Christmas. She got drunk and ruined Christmas. And then he instructed the girls to go ahead and open their presents. William Wallace placed a call to 911 at 9.30 a.m. Christmas morning to report that his wife was in need of medical attention. When the Anaheim Police Department officers arrived, they found Suzelle Preston still slumped on the couch, and they transferred her body to the hospital where she was pronounced dead. William Wallace's trial was held March of 2021, revealing a horrific, persistent pattern of violence towards Suzelle. Her relatives told investigators that Wallace was controlling and violent and had threatened to kill Zizel multiple times 
Once a relative had discovered Giselle pregnant and at the time lying in the street in fetal position after William allegedly beat her. William was convicted in April of 2021 for second degree murder and sentenced to 15 years in prison. Tragically, Giselle got her wish and her children are being raised by various relatives safe from William's clutches. So I put a trigger warning there because the horrificness of this case, to me, that's that's really hard to process. Um, I couldn't imagine being eight years old and coming out on Christmas morning, a time that's supposed to be the most joyful, the most excitement. Christmas morning is magical and it has this magic feeling towards it. And for that to be ripped at such a young age and not have that same emotion you see your mother that you helped clean up the night before and you can feel her and remember how that feels so many years later that just that breaks my heart for these kids to have to go through that so that does bring us to the end of this episode for this week as always thank you for listening to murder by nature if you enjoyed our show please rate us and review us on apple Podcasts, spotify or any streaming platform that you're currently on and be sure to come back next week for a new episode i hope you guys have a wonderful evening with your families a wonderful morning if you celebrate christmas or if you don't i just hope you find some peace as you go into this next season this next year this next everything There's so much that can come, so much joy. And if you're having a hard time, reach out to me on Instagram. I'm here to talk to anyone during this holiday season that may need just someone to listen. Until then, I'm your host, Jasmine Hernandez. Don't forget to stay safe. Don't get murdered or murder people, you lovely humans. Goodbye. Goodbye.